Thank you, Brother Lauren. Boy, it's so good to see you all tonight. Did you feel that little freshness in the air this morning? Yes. Wasn't it nice? That's just a down payment, amen. <laughs> that uh, that fall, it hasn't fallen, but uh, but it's not far away, amen. And, and by the time February gets here, we'll all be looking for it to be hot again. <laughs> so, uh, but, all right, I'm on the air. First Timothy, please. First Timothy, where I'm headed in, in, uh, in Arkansas, it's, it was 61 there this morning. Oh, I can't. It was 54 yesterday. Oh, brother. Awesome. That is awesome. I Not, in Wyoming, man, I love it there too. I've been out there, man. I like all that. I like it if it just be like the high around 60, 65 every day. Some of y'all looking at me strange, yeah. First Timothy, First Timothy. You know, and then about thirty below in the winter time. Oh man, I'm talking about Alaska. First Timothy, all right. Chapter one, First Timothy. I, I want to be a blessing tonight, and. Uh, I know I say that all the time, but but it's true, and, and uh, it is my desire. I want to give you some tools tonight, if I can. I like things that are practical. Aren't you glad your Bible's practical, and uh, in its intent and in its purpose and so forth? It really is the owner's manual. Amen. You'll get the most out of your life if you'll just follow the owner's manual, like you do with your vehicle. But uh, I, I want to talk to you about. I think it's an important topic because of what we'll see here, but. Uh, but find your place in chapter 1, look in verse 18 with me, please. <clears throat> the Bible says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Man, I mean the things that Paul wanted for Timothy. He wanted him to be a good soldier. Uh, you know, he'll talk about some things in other places. I think he wanted him to be a good sailor as well. And uh, and here, he doesn't want him to make shipwreck of his life. And part of this is in maintaining a good conscience. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, about how to maintain a good conscience. Now, I, you know, I'm not smart enough to figure out all the little idiosyncrasies about the difference in, like, if we're talking about your mind or I'm talking about your heart or some of those things, I just want to sort of t have that broad topic about your conscience, that that voice uh, on the inside. The book of Proverbs says that the spirit of, of man is the candle of the Lord and it searcheth all the inward parts. I think that's referring to the conscience. But that word conscience is only found in the New Testament. It's not found in your Old Testament. And so... So it seems uh, to me to clear that both Timothy and us, if we're going to war a good warfare in these days, that we're going to have to hold faith and a good conscience in order to us to be successful. I mean, I want to finish my course, don't you? Amen. And uh, I I'm not talking about losing my salvation. When you get saved by the grace of God, you could never be lost. 
And uh, but I I want to finish in good stead. I want to honor my father, and uh, honor the church, and and so forth, and honor the Savior, and all these things. But you know, but but it seems also clear that without these things, you can certainly make shipwreck out of your life. What does it mean to make shipwreck? I, I think about people that run aground. Amen. Uh, when that when they remember when they were there in Acts twenty seven, they got that ship and they. They ran aground, and the hinder part broke off, didn't it? I've seen some wrecks out on, um, when I was a medic, I've learned about some wrecks that were out on Lake Conroe. Man, that's a dangerous lake, and most of the time, these bad wrecks out there take place at night. People have had too much alcohol, they get to driving crazy, they're not paying attention, and man, they run into somebody's backyard, and of course, the boat stops and ejects everybody or through the glass, or whatever they've got there. And boy, there's a lot of serious a lot of serious injuries there that take place. And so, but here's the thing about your conscience. The Bible in the New Testament has a lot to say about the different descriptions of the conditions of, of a conscience. And so, if you could, you could write these down. I wasn't going to make you turn to all of them tonight. We have the time to do that. But I want you to know about the guilty conscience. Now, I think this is referred to in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 28 and 1. Anybody remember what that that passage says? Proverbs 28 and 1, something about the wicked and what they do. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. What's that? What's that? What's that? What are the wicked doing? What's bothering them? What's got them looking over their shoulder all the time? It's their conscience, their guilty conscience. Man, every time they see a cop, they figure, man, he might be after me. Boy, they try to straighten up. And uh, my, my son, you know, would notice things about how people's behavior sometimes when they're not doing right. A lot of times when you see a policeman, do you look away from him or do you look at him? Typically, most people look at them. But if, but if you see a cop and you're like this, like you don't want to notice him, that sets them off because like, how come he didn't look at me? What, what's he afraid of? He doesn't want to look me in the eye. I mean, I think my son had a suspicious mind anyway, you know. But uh, but they but they like to figure all that stuff out. So the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Why? Because his conscience bothers him. He doesn't have a clean conscience. He doesn't have a clear conscience. It's also found in the book of Romans where it says that that natural man, that those unsaved men, that, that their conscience either accuses them or excuses them. And they have a law that's written in their heart about, in other words, about their customs and so forth. I mean, think about it. When you were lost, you had a conscience. You didn't get your conscience when you got saved because probably your conscience bothered you when you were a lost person. If you were like me, sometimes it would bother me. Sometimes it didn't. And, uh, and so it wasn't until I got saved that my eyes got open to some things and so forth. And uh, so the Lord sort of renews that, if you will, through the Spirit of God when a person is born again. So you, so you have that guilty conscience. First Corinthians talks about a weak conscience. That person that's overly sensitive to things and because they haven't, they haven't applied Romans 14 in their life and they're subject to be influenced by other people. Some of them are, are some of them they were talking about there, they were, they, uh, the, their brother or whatever made a step, made a stumbling block. He put something in front of them to trip them up. Some of them were emboldened to do some things that they shouldn't have done. And others of them were highly sensitive. I remember in Franklin there was a good brother. Brother Roger will know who this is. And he, he came from a Catholic background. And man, I think his name was Brother Joe, wasn't it? And uh, when Brother Joe got saved, I mean, just a good brother. 
and uh, and I had been going, you know, coming faithfully and so forth, and and was really settled in his faith and the like. And then I, I forget which family it was, but they had a little child, and they wanted to dedicate that child. You know, like how we do here, we bring the bring the baby forward, mom and dad. Really, what you're talking about is the dedication to mom and dad, right? We're going to raise this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and you know, anointing them with oil and so forth. Well, when Brother Joe saw that man, all it took him back to was. Catholicism, and he thought that we were christening the baby as if to put salt on their tongue and oil on their head, like a picture of the Holy Spirit and everything. And regardless of how we tried to talk to him about that, particularly Brother Roger, uh, and just letting him know, Brother, this is not... He just couldn't get that off his conscience to the place. You know what happened? Because he had a weak conscience, he quit coming to the church. Now, I don't know where he went. I don't know where he was going to go in a Baptist church where they don't dedicate children. And uh, and so I'm just saying that you're going to find some people that have a weak conscience. Then you're going to find it like in First Timothy. Look in chapter three. Look, you're right there. Look in chapter three. Look in verse. Look with me in verse nine. It says, "Holding the mystery of of the faith in a what?" Chapter three, verse nine. In a pure conscience. In a pure conscience. That conscience that's undefiled. That conscience that's clean. That's a positive thing. That's a good thing, if you will. Then there's the seared conscience in chapter four. Look at this in verse 2. It says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's how they used to cauterize wounds a long time ago. They still do that today in surgery. It's called a bovi, and it's it's a kind of it's a it's a scalpel that actually has heat to it. That as it as they make that incision, it actually it's so hot that it cauterizes all the blood vessels along the path and it reduces the bleeding during that surgery. And so that's how they would do it. So what happens in a seared conscience, what those Roman soldiers, if they got a bad wound or whatever, so to, so as to prevent infection and to close it up, to control the bleeding, they'd heat up that sword or dagger or whatever whatever tool they got from the blacksmith shop, get it red hot, and then come along here and lay it on your wound. And what would you do? I mean, you would cry out a little while because it hurt initially, but the thing about a third-degree burn, you kill all the nerve endings. And so what happens is, man, there's no more pain associated with that. Stops the bleeding, kills the infection, and kills any sensitivity that you have. And so having a seared conscience just basically means yours doesn't work anymore. That you can't feel anything. Now, you know, we talk about here often, we don't, we're, we're, you know, our feelings aren't supposed to be in charge, are they? I, I remember when, when uh, Brother Brent taught a lesson about about our spirit, soul, and body. That's the way God looks at it. And the world looks at it. How do they always put it? Your body, soul, and spirit, right? They put that. They put this part first. As it wants to be in control, then that soul where your emotions are and so forth. But, but God puts this thing different. And so we want to be directed by the spirit of God and not by our feelings. But it doesn't mean that we do away with them. We don't want to have a seared conscience where we don't feel anything. What about the defiled conscience in, in the book of Titus? Titus chapter 1, verse 5, it says to the defiled, everything is defiled. In other words, man, they can't do anything without there being some sort of wickedness associated with it. They can't, they, in other words, have you ever been around some of the people? They just can't have a conversation without making something sensual or sexual or they want to, and they think it's real funny to kind of put that off on you. Or, or make you a part of their joke or the butt of their joke or whatever. 
you know, it, it's pitiful. And then the evil conscience, it's mentioned in Hebrews 10 and verse 22. And I think that's where people just, they just willfully run past or run through their conscience. It works. It warns them of that evil conscience. They've been so accustomed to doing this that they don't even hear it anymore. I, I think it was a, there's a, uh, an illustration about it, what the what the Indians would say, uh, sorry, Native Americans would say that 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 his conscience was like an arrowhead or something that was in his heart and it spun, and whenever he did the wrong thing, it would it would prick his heart and cause him pain. But if he kept doing that same thing over and over and over again, like with any instrument, what happens? That little arrowhead became dull to where he couldn't feel it. Anymore. And, uh, and so that's what kind of happens in that evil heart. And then there's the good conscience that's mentioned in, in Acts 23. All right, go there with me. The good conscience, Acts 23. And, uh, and, and look what Paul says about himself here. He's being accused of some things which was not uncommon in Paul's life. And if you're going to be in a... Listen, if you know something, if you have something, or you're doing something, you're going to be criticized. Okay? And uh, and here, Paul was accustomed to this. Look, look at how many times they accused the Lord Jesus of things. And so, and so too it is, it will be with us. And so notice what he says in Acts 23, look in verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So, so how are we to maintain, how can we have a good conscience? I, I'm glad you asked, all right? I got three things here for you to see. Number one, I want you to, I want you to get this now. Number one, if you want to have a good conscience, then you're going to have to let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit be your guide. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit to be your guide. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Our consciences are not good guides. And here's the reason why. Because, and I'll just say, whoever said let your conscience be your guide was foolish indeed. They were indeed. Because, you know, I mean, I refer you back to the list. I mean, look, look who's in the list. I mean, the weak. The seared, the defiled, the evil. Okay? Those that have a deadened, a, that seared conscience. Now, now, here's the thing. Now, our conscience, just like what that Indian said, he said it pricks his heart. Well, the, you know what the conscience does? The conscience pricks our heart, provokes our heart, if you will, to do the right thing in any given situation. But the thing that your conscience doesn't do, it doesn't tell you what is right or what is wrong. Some of that depends on how you were raised. Some of that has to do with that. I mean, only the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will show us. I mean, I bet you that, that, that in here, all of us were raised a little differently from the person that you're sitting next to. You know, I said something about my sister. I, I called her a name. I'm not going to repeat it here. I called her a name. And man, my mom grabbed me by the right up here by the shirt collar, and we, my dad had just put some tile up in the kitchen, and uh, little blue squares of tile, very meticulously. Man, my mom took advantage of that, and she grabbed me right here by with this left arm. And pow! I was ten years old. 
pow, knocked my head against that wall. And grabbed me. She said, you say that again about your sister, you'll be picking yourself up off the ground over there in that corner. You know, my mom wouldn't tolerate some of that stuff. Now, maybe around your house, people said things siblings and all ugly things, cursing things, and nobody paid any attention to it. You know, uh, it, it. I'm not going to ask you about any unusual thing in, in your family or whatever, but in my, you know, I, I still have a problem. I, I've been someplace. Have you ever, let me ask you this. Have you ever been somewhere where the men are seated and women are standing? Have you ever seen that? Particularly in public places like at the airport or maybe on a bus or whatever. You ever see that? Now, yes, ma'am. Man, we need to go to Bolivia, guys, don't we? <laughs> Hallelujah, man. I, what a great, what a what an innovative idea, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know it, brother. No, I, I know you are, brother. I know it. But I, hey, you know, it's the same way in New Guinea. It's the same way. You know, over there, the men all stand around. They got, they got their arms like this. Brother Brad will tell you the truth. And, you know, they've got their arms like this and they're looking everything over and they might have a stick here or maybe it's an umbrella. And they're watching the women work in the garden. She's, she's pulling a hog up the road. They don't put rings in the pig's nose over there because they want it to root. That's their plow. When he gets big enough, fat enough, they're going to eat him. Okay? And so they tie, a, they, they tie a vine, sister, around one of his hind legs, and he just goes along, and they go from garden to garden to garden with that pig and stake him out, let him turn all that, turn all that soil over so those yams will grow and those sweet potatoes will grow. And those men just stand around. You know, Brother Ted was over there, and he saw this, this 16-year-old, 17-year-old girl had a huge belum on her back. A belum is a big bag and was carrying all this heavy stuff. And he went up to her, and he said, he said, basically, you know, let me have that. And she said, no. And he said, well, yeah, that's not right. Let me have that. And she said, no. She said, if I give that to you, all the men around here will think that I'm lazy and I'll never get a husband. Mm-hmm. How you were raised, your culture makes a difference in your conscience, does it? And my mom, if, if there was, a, if there, when I was little and if I was seated and there was a woman came up, my mother made me get up. So that lady could sit down. And I've had to argue with a few women about that even to this day and say, ma'am, please sit down. No, no, it's not. I said, listen, my mama raised me better than that because it bothers my conscience. Or to see an old person in Thailand, man, you the, the bot bus would slow down. We were going into town. It would kind of slow down, come into the bus stop, and they'd see people on there, and they'd wait for that old person to get on there, that old man or whatever. And that driver, he would start to take off again. Boy, he'd drop it in second gear and like to... Watch those people fall over and every on the, everybody on the bus would laugh. Everybody but the GIs because we just couldn't see that. But in their culture, it didn't bother them. So you can't count on your conscience. It'll provoke you to do right, but it doesn't tell you what right is. That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we have to be renewed in our mind, beloved. If we're going to have that good conscience, we've got to follow what the Word of God and the Spirit of God confirms for us from the Scriptures. I mean, some of us, you know, uh, if we were to go through the church tonight, we could find out, well, what, do you, what, do, what is healthy food to you? And what is unhealthy food? All that depends on how you were raised, right? You know, sometimes, sometimes kids and men grow up on candy and gum and sugar 
And other children around here, they grow up eating fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. They don't know what a cookie is. They figure that's something that gets deposited on your computer, a cookie. Okay? They probably know more about that than they do about Oreos or whatever. It all depends on how you're raised. So we are a product to some degree, if you will, of our environment. So, so before we were saved, I mean, we already had values and habits that were different than are different from the person sitting next to you. It's just how it is. And so that, so, so what we come with, imagine if we all, if, if we all in our own minds brought our own songbook every night or every weekend when we come to church, we all brought our own songbook and Brother Jason said, hey, I want you to turn to number 203. And all the songbooks are different and we get there and every song is different. Well, that's what 203 means to me. You know, that would be confusion, wouldn't it? But you look at how many times people go by what their conscience tells them. Sometimes it's just not right. It's not trustworthy, beloved. Well, it doesn't bother me. Well, there might be a reason why it ought to bother you and why it doesn't. All right? And so this is the reason why. You know, your conscience is like a compass. If it's faulty, you're going to get off course. And the further you go on that course, the further away from the, where you need to be, you're going to find yourself. And, and the conscience, it gets signals from the heart, if you will, and your heart can become calloused, it can become hard, it can be overly sensitive, it can be under... I mean, there are some people that their, their conscience are so weak, I mean, it sort of makes them neurotic a little bit. They go a little crazy about what is right, what's wrong, what do I do here, what do I don't do? I mean, they, they, they just about have to have a C&I dog, though they are not blind. Physically, but mentally, weak-minded, simple-minded, and so forth. And so the conscience, that's why, that's why Romans 14, go there with me. Romans 14, why this is so important. You know, I, I, I mentioned on Sunday about the fact that you're not long in this, in this world, and really even in, in dealing with some things, that in life everything is not just black and white. Everything is not always just right or wrong. There are gray areas and then shades of gray in what we do. Uh, look, at, look at verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Now what did you have in this church? What were you having? You had, you know, it was such a unique thing. You have both Jews and Gentiles were now going to be in the same church. You know, and for those Jewish believers when they first got going... Buddy, it was a Jews-only club. They didn't want any Gentiles in there. Remember, they got you get over there to Acts chapter ten, where Paul, where Peter is dealing with Cornelius. He goes into his house, Acts eleven. He comes back. Cornelius been saved, and he wants to tell him about this. And man, they're like, "Hey, buddy, what would you do in that Gentile's house? You're unclean." Blah 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 blah. They're going to chew on him, and he has to he has to explain what happened. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, buddy, they're happy that Cornelius got in. And so, uh, and so, but it took some convincing. And what it, it took what. Three visions on top of that flat roof to convince Peter to go to Cornelius' house? Why? Because his conscience, he said, hey, I've never eaten anything unclean. Conscience was bothering him. And the Lord was trying to tell, help him with something. He had to show him three times that it was all right. And so Romans 14, that's why it, it, it's so important. That, that we understand these things and that we bring our particular circumstance or situation, we bring it to the Word of God. If it's not covered here specifically, then you bring it to the Lord in prayer. 
and you trust God for the answer and so forth, and He may show you. Maybe you're going to ask another brother about it. He's going to talk to you about what the Lord has allowed him or not allowed him. I've heard it said, you know, until you get your own convictions, you can borrow some of mine. I've heard people say that. Well, that might work for a while. But, uh, but it may be something that the Lord will point out to you down the road and say, hey, you know what, that's, it might be okay for him, but it's not okay for you. And that's where you have to be willing to receive that. And, uh, and so, so it doesn't mean that we're, if you will, that we're examining each other about everything, but these are matters of doubtful disputations. These are things of personal liberty and so forth. And you have to exercise your conscience. You have to use your conscience. So you're going to need it to be clear and clean if you're going to make your way. So learn, if you will, let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit be your guide and not your conscience. And what we used to say when we were young Christians and learn, hey, when in doubt, do without. Until I had the go-ahead, I'd rather get to the judgment seat of Christ and find out that I could have, and I didn't, rather than venture into something that I shouldn't have, and I did. Makes sense. I mean, I, you, you, I, I don't want to get crosswise. Man, I, I, I need the Lord to hear me, and I need to be able to hear from Him. All right? So, number one, let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit be your guide. They're the only trustworthy... They're the only sources of absolute truth, right? Is it not? Is that not what he called when he, the Spirit of Truth, has come? He will guide you. He's not going to be any less than what he is. He's the Holy Ghost. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's trustworthy. All right. And where does he live? He lives inside of us, and he will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. Not ever. Will not do that. So when your friends say, "Oh, that's all right." You know, or whatever, and that's some extra biblical thing. You better back away from that. Why? Because the, what are they treading upon? They're counting on their own conscience. Well, it didn't bother me. Well, did you look at the Word of God? What about this passage? They're like, oh, but that's so old. <laughs> Had anybody ever told you that? Oh, yeah, but that look how old that was. And a man just wrote that. Well, yeah, but it wasn't just any man. These were men who were moved by the Holy Ghost to write. And so, uh, you know... So you're going to run into all kinds of things, particularly when somebody questions you or queries you about why you're doing something or not doing something. And you tell them, well, the, you know, the Lord just doesn't want me to do that. Well, where, do, where, do, where does it say that? <laughs> Anybody ever challenge you about anything? Yeah, where does it say that? Well, you know, I gathered that from reading in my prayer time. This is what the Lord told me. Well, man, I mean, well, how do you know you're even praying right? I mean, what do you know? I mean, you're all a 22 or whatever. How can you know? You understand? Man, I mean, there's always going to be critics out there. Always somebody that seems to know the will of God for, the, for everybody else's life. They just don't know it for themselves. And so you have to be careful about that. All right, let, let me hurry. All right, number two. You need to limit your exposure to evil and wickedness. If you want to have a good conscience, beloved, you must limit your exposure. Look with me in Romans. You're there in 14. Go to chapter 16 with me. Romans chapter 16. Listen to what Paul says as he's writing to this church. He said, now, verse 17, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. 
For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. In other words, they are they're that they're that narcissistic crowd. They serve themselves. They're interested in only what they want. And what? And by and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. God doesn't want you to be simple minded. He, you know, this is the reason why when we come to the house of God, that He wants us to listen to the Word of God intently, and if you will. And I say this with, 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 with all sincerity, even critically. To listen and not just be like a sieve, not, 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 not just so something passes through, but actually engaged in what's happening. And I know that in life there are so many things that compete for the, your thoughts. Particularly when you come to the house of God, man, I don't, know what, I don't know what your trip was like on the way over here, if you fussed with your wife or not. If you fussed with your husband, if you if you kind of went overboard on the kids or not, maybe it grieved the Spirit of God. You come in here and you try to sing, and then somebody's going to pray, and you're probably like, "Man, I'm glad he didn't call on me to pray because I don't know I don't know if I'd have been heard or not or whatever." I mean, you know, I mean, all kinds of things. Well, I got this bill, man. I wonder what they're doing. Maybe I, I think about Brother Lauren. I think about you. Well, you know, there was a few hours of daylight. I don't want to think all that stuff put away. Did they get it all covered up? All the things that go through your mind. And yet, you know, we, we, we got to come here and be engaged, to be engaged. And look, look at verse 19. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men, and I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good. Now watch. And simple concerning evil. Simple concerning evil. Have you, uh, have you ever gone into a store like a convenience store where they smoke and you come outside and then you get in your car and your wife says, gosh, you smell like smoke. <laughs> and I said, yeah, they were smoking in there. I didn't tell her, oh, I was over there behind the stack. You know, give me a couple puffs before I got back. No, no, it just smelled that way. Or or uh, you come in sometime and my old factories work pretty good and they go like, hey, brother, did, did y'all have fried chicken tonight for supper? Sometimes just the smell of fried you ever notice that? Sometimes just the smell of cooked foods gets on your clothes. All right? And that is how easily it seems like that we can be influenced or we're touched by the things that go on around us. Now, I'm just using that as an illustration. All right? But to be simple concerning evil. I noticed that. Did you happen to notice this about, you know, people in the highlands of Papua New Guinea are different from the people that live the coastal people. Those are the New Guineans. They're, they're more diminutive. They're smaller in their stature. So a lot of them don't have facial hair. They're more Melanesian, like Polynesian and Micronesian and so forth. They, they, they are finer featured. They have smaller frames. And you get in the highlands, and man, they're all stocky. They definitely have facial hair, don't they, brother? They definitely got facial hair. And they're stocky, and they're built for fighting. <laughs> and that's what they do. Are, they're built for fighting. And seldom do you see anybody in the highlands who has on a pair of shoes. And I've looked at their feet. Good night. You know, you know, like in a cartoon character, and I, I, I mean this with all respect, but you know, have you ever noticed like the kind of feet that, uh, that Donald Duck has? And I'm not just talking about web feet. I'm talking about how they, in cartoons, how they draw them and their feet are like Bugs Bunny. And he's always got big feet. They always got big feet. Well, you know what? The... the Brother Brent's nodding his head up and down back there. They got big feet in Papua New Guinea. 
And I'm not talking about necessarily long, but I'm talking about wide. They have the widest feet I have ever seen of a human being. And they're all knurled up. I mean, they're all, I mean, and they're, they're wide and they are flat. I don't think that they could fit into a pair of shoes because they seldom wear shoes. And I see them going all kinds of stuff, whether it be pavement or in the bush. And they're walking across logs and slippery things. They're doing all that. And, and you say, good night, doesn't that hurt your feet? And they're probably like, I don't feel a thing. And why is that? Because their feet all their lives have been in nothing but contact with the world. Now, I'm making a point about that. If you and I are constantly in contact with the world, we can get just like those feet to where they're so calloused and so hardened, it doesn't matter what surface they are on. They can run over a log. They can run over some spiny thing and it doesn't make any difference. I've watched them do it. I watched a little kid. Man, we went on a walkabout, Brother Ted. We were out there. We went. I don't know how many clicks we went. We were gone six hours. We were walking. And man, this little guy, he just kept running. He'd run up ahead of us and, and he was carrying the water. He would run up ahead of us. He probably wasn't seven or eight years old. He'd run, 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 run. And then come back. And then by the time I got back, son, I, I was dragging. And that little boy was just looking around like, all right, what do you want to do next? What do you want to do next, white man? What, brother? Yeah, there's a mountain there, the radio tower that he went up to. And about halfway up there, and the line of my words is puffing and puffing. <laughs> and this guy, he, you know, the native there, he's walking alongside of us listening. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how do you even have the breath to listen? Right, <laughs> right. They're at altitude, yeah. I mean, they're doing all that. Yeah, you know, and just, a, with the, and just like some of the, uh, they call it a bone-nutting medic. Bone nothing Mary. What that just simply means, she's just a hydra. She doesn't have any fat on her at all. She's a bone nothing Mary. That's what she is, a woman. A Mary is a woman. Okay? And uh, and so how do they do that? They do that because of their constant contact and exposure to the world. And I think about that. Can you think of somebody in the Bible that was affected by the environment he was in by not limiting his exposure? To the world that was around him. Who? Demas. Yes, I think about Demas having loved this present world. I don't know what happened, but I do. I think about Lot, brother. The scripture says in the book of Peter that he vexed his righteous soul in seeing and hearing their ungodly deeds, their unlawful deeds. I mean, how else can you explain how the thought would even enter his mind that he should offer his daughters to these perverts? How could a man? How could a man get so low? Do you think his conscience was working? It wasn't. Why? Because he had been exposed to all that stuff. How, how do you think? How do you think it happens? These politicians, they go away with good intentions, I'm sure, and they get up there, and man, the current is so swift, and they get around all that stuff. I mean, that they can lie, and they never feel anything. They can look right at the camera just like Bill Clinton. I'm telling you, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I mean, look, look right at the camera, look right in the face of, a, you know, 300 million Americans and lie and never, never blink an eye. How do you think they do it all the time? Their conscience quit working a long time ago. A long time ago. 
And so what we have to ask, I mean, I mean, so what we have to tell ourselves, you're there in Romans 16, go back and look in Romans 13 with me. This is something that you've got to be engaged in, beloved, and particularly in your own home. When there's nobody else around, you've got, you've got to do this. <coughs> Notice what this says. Romans 13, look in verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chamberings and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Because what happens is we get tainted by that. We get now, now you say, well, Brother Ed, I've got to go out there and make a living. I understand that. I'm not promoting isolation. I'm saying you've got to be insulated from some of these things. This is where your walk and your daily devotion and, and if you will, this conscience becomes so important. You know, I, I, I put down here, and I, there's another passage you can look at in the, in the book of Ephesians where it says, man, it's not even right for us to discuss the, you know, the, the works of darkness. We shouldn't even be talking about some of the evil things that they do, the wicked things that they do. Why? Because he doesn't want that to touch your mind, to touch your conscience, because each time it has a tendency to deaden. And, and listen, aren't we, isn't America, don't we tolerate far more today than what we once did? When I Love Lucy was on, man, they had twin beds. And, and Lucy and Ricky, they slept apart. But everybody knew they didn't have little Ricky by living that way. And, and now society says, what? You know, well, hey, you've got to accept all they just keep cramming it down our throat. I'm so sick of watching men do laundry on the TV. And I'm sick of watching little perverted guys that want to talk in their effeminate voice. And they're glad about it. So, brother, I'm, I'm sick of it. And it's all in our face. And it's all about desensitizing our minds and our conscience. And so now they weren't satisfied with that. So now we have to have transgender. I'm telling you, it's the most wicked and vile stuff on the earth. You know, and, and, and I'll say again, you know, it's an old, people care more about a whale that gets stuck in some river in California than they do about these children that are being murdered. Why? Where do you think a reprobate mind comes from? And you say, well, man, I can't say anything at work. I mean, that's the way, that's the, way the work culture is, this woke culture and cancel culture. They'd like to cancel us. They really think that we are a parasite and a blight on the land. It's no wonder that when those witnesses in the book of Revelation die, that they send gifts to each other. Hey, we finally got rid of these, these birds. Man, they're finally done. Man, I, they, I bet they were surprised when they got up. Amen. They're going to be. I'm just saying. So, so you have to ask yourself, have you given up any ground where you once stood firm? Now, I can't answer that for you, but you've got to answer that. Have you given up any ground where you once stood firm? You know, because we can't get to be like, well, you know what, it just doesn't matter. Well, I can't do anything about it. I understand all that. But I certainly don't want to be a sympathizer, according to Romans chapter 1. I don't want to be a sympathizer with them. And just begin to say, well, that's just the way it is, and just move on. No, man, that's why you've got to vote your biblical conscience 
you know, that's why these things are still important, that we exercise our civil rights in these matters. Are you still able to blush? Do some things still make you blush? I hope they do. You know, there was a time when they lost their shamefacedness. That's what that means, shamefacedness. They lost their ability to blush. Do, do you still feel guilty sometimes about some things? That's a good thing. That is a good thing. God, you know, God puts that on us for a reason. It'll be terrible if you don't feel anything. You know, and, I, and, and you think about it, you know, sometimes, you know, and I, I, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, if I'm going to watch a movie, I, I'm not really interested in the dog making its way back home or I can only take, you know, I, I don't watch Little House on the Prairie, you know, I, I'm not interested in the Waltons. You, you, I, I like it where they blow stuff up, okay? But, but you know, but, but even then, you know, what comes with that. And even though I've been in the military, but I found myself, you know, stuff that used to bother me. Brother, I, Lauren, I remember this. Uh, there was a young man said something. He was watching something. I was in the day room at 151. That's the main station. And he, he, he dropped a word. And just as this couple was coming in, and I, I poked him. I did. I put my hand. I poked him in the chest. And I, I, and I, I said, hey, man, do you not see this lady right here? And the boyfriend of that, uh, of that girl said, oh, that's all right. She's used to it. And I said, well, she shouldn't. So they turned around and went out of the day room, and I looked at that young kid, and I said, you know, if my wife had walked in, I'd be pretty upset. You and me, we'd be going around. You talk that way. This is a day room. You know? But even now, you know, I go there, and I hear stuff, and I don't say anything anymore. I'm ashamed of that. Why? Because we sort of get used to it. I, you know, I, I, wish that, I wish the firemen would exercise their conscience as much as they exercise their bodies. they got to do that every day for an hour, every time they're on shift. I'm about out of time. We ought to feel guilty about some things, and if you don't, you need to find out why you don't. Ask God to help you. Let me give you the third thing, and I'll be done. you got to learn to exercise your conscience. You know, if you live a sedentary lifestyle, that's what that's what Acts 24, 16, he said, hey, herein, do I, let's go there. They're not done upstairs yet. Y'all y'all still with me? Can I finish this? All right. Thank you. Acts 24, 16. I want to give you these tools. Let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit be your guide. Number two, limit your exposure to evil. Have enough courage to walk away. Somebody says, what's wrong with you? Are you, are you an old prude? You know, I would answer and say, no, but, I, but you know who the prude are? Those are the people that know how to, how to avoid evil and avoid problems. And so I'm trying to be prudent. Acts 24, look in verse 16, they said, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. To exercise your conscience. You know, if you don't ex exercise your body physically, you know, a sedentary lifestyle will lead to health problems. And if you don't exercise your conscience, you're going to have some spiritual problems. What do we read about Hymenaeus and Alexander? They made shipwreck. Paul was worried about being a castaway. He took serious the battle that he was in. He didn't want to be put on the shelf. And neither do you. You don't want that. So, so you got, we have to stop. When, to exercise your conscience means you've got to stop violating it. 
And when I'm violating it is when it puts its hand up and says, no, don't go this way. Then don't go that way. It's sort of like the barricade that comes down on the railroad. I know you might not see the train. You may not even hear it. But you ought to obey the barrier, right? You say, well, there's nothing coming. How do you know? Can you see a mile up down the road? Is it, it may not be a train. It might just be one of the service vehicles coming along. It can happen. I'm just saying you can't file it. You can't violate it. You know, and, and what I mean, because, you know, if you do, if you keep violating it, it'll get, if, if, if you don't exercise it, just like a person, you can get out of shape, you'll get lazy, you'll get dull, and so will your conscience. I don't think it needs to be overly sensitive. And there's a balance on those things as you read and learn the Word of God and you exercise Romans 14. But you've got to exercise it. You're going to have to use it. If it convicts you about something, haven't you ever said to yourself, boy, I shouldn't have said that? And then what'd you do? Probably did nothing. You just said, well, man, I shouldn't have said that. And I'm just going to go on. No, if that happens that way, you need to go to that person and make it right. You need to confess it, repent of it, for, ask him to ask him or her to forgive you. That That's ignore, That's not exercising your conscience. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Well, I shouldn't have done that. Well, how how do you undo it? You go back and make it right. You respond to it. You act upon it. That's how you exercise your conscience. And that's how you maintain its purity and its clarity. You know what? In those accusers, the Lord Jesus said, you know why it never really bothered him? And even for Paul, and he said, man, I, 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 I've lived my life. I, I've, I've always had a good conscience. I've worked and so forth. A good conscience. You know, so the, why their criticism didn't bother him? Because he wasn't feeling guilty on the inside. When your conscience is cleared, you know what? You'll get a better night's sleep. Don't you feel better after you get that thing right with that person and there's no more of that tension in the air and your conscience leaves you alone and you get that thing right and you get it settled with God? Don't you, don't you feel better? Sure you do. You absolutely do. And so... So, beloved, don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Take the matter seriously like the Apostle Paul did. I mean, humanly speaking, gosh, he was a great Christian, would you not say? And, and all the things that he was put into in the different, different places and different circumstances, and he wanted to finish his course, and he wanted Timothy to finish his course well. And so too, I, I believe God wants us to finish our course well. So maintain a good conscience. A good conscience. Let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit be your guide. Limit your exposure to evil. Have enough courage to shut the thing off or change the channel or do whatever God tells you to do in that matter. Don't get accustomed to listening to trash. We say, well, everybody kept their clothes on, brother. Well, that's nice, but sometimes, you know, out of their mouth. Have enough courage. And then lastly, exercise your conscience. Exercise it. If, you, if it gets offended, if it gets wounded, if it speaks to you about something, then deal with it. Don't put it aside. Don't turn a deaf ear. I mean, how do you think those guys became reprobate? I'm sure their conscience bothered them in the beginning, but they kept ignoring it. And you don't want to have a reprobate mind. You don't want a seared conscience. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for my church family. And I pray, Lord, that 
in my own life, Father, I'd take a better inventory on some things. And Lord, I'd like to do right. And I just confess that, Lord. And I want to be right and do right about it. I want my mind right. And Lord, I pray you'll help our people, Father, with this in Jesus' name. Amen.